Good morning. Good morning, sir. You were just about the first person I've talked to today. Uh, same here. Same here. You can probably hear it. <laughs> yeah. A little bassy this morning. It's all right. Yep. That's cool. Um, so what's going on with you? You know, the usual. This week has been a bit more of a, of a tuple week as uh, for me as I kind of get close to completion on uh, the little project I've been working on. And it's, um, it's been cool to see that come together. Spencer tubled me the other day and showed me sort of where it's at. And it's like, ooh, this is looking kind of like it works. Yeah. Yeah, we had a pairing session. I was like, my goal was to get this like as close to plug and play as possible because I had basically all the um, almost all the information I would need to get it set up in that way, short of, you know, just like small technical things that that I wasn't aware of, right? I mean, it's kind of nice. There's a clear delineation between the the front end part, which is a lives in a web view, um, which is a React application that communicates with the Swift application, the native macOS client, through this bridge. So there's just commands that you fire across, you know, across the bridge over to Swift, and then Swift will issue state updates that then propagate back into the React app. And so it kind of creates this nice, like this nice separation of concerns where you can, I can mock up interfaces just by plugging in different states that may happen in the real world. And, and that's led to, you know, being able to kind of present this in a way for the purpose of development where we can kind of see a bunch of the states and play around with them. And so that's been, that's been a fun part of this too. It's just like a lot of times you have to wait till like the end of a project to get to play with something. And so to be able to kind of mock that up, pretty easily because of the architecture totally also the fact that we could like pretty easily integrate this thing that has been operating like has been pushing forward independently for a while that's that's pretty amazing yeah 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 so it was a it was a magical moment when uh, <laughs> when spencer pulled it down and and ran the build and then like opened up the the uh, the tuple client for the first time and it was my code running in there and it's like whoa it just it looks like a real thing <laughs> to put yeah. you on the contributors list now yeah yeah <laughs> i was i was talking yesterday with spencer and joel and i was thinking i was asking do you think we're gonna get some whiners some some pushback some anger because like I, th- I think it's clearly a step forward but like there's inevitably going to be some people that are like oh i hate this new whatever why did you do this yeah we're, we're moving people's cheese right now so um so there you know there's gonna be some people who just don't like change right that always happens yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is I'm tr- I'm bracing myself for yeah some people to be mad at us yeah it'll That's happen okay. it'll happen yep but no overall I think it's I think it's going to be well received uh, I just got um got some feedback earlier in the week and someone was like this is amazing but please hire a UX person there's a bunch of little things and I was like no you're you're, you're right <laughs> you're not wrong on it <laughs> yep we good good news hold wait for a little bit and hopefully some of this will be improved yeah. One other thing that realization I had this week talking to my mastermind group, like I was trying to articulate why this project in particular, like the timing of it and why like I've enjoyed it so much. And because it is, it is a slight deviation away from what I've been doing for a long time, which is trying to, you know, working on my own products um, and like working at a very early stage of things. And um, I do want to clarify because someone reached out and they're like, Hey, must be bittersweet uh, now that you're um, working for Tuple and uh, giving up on your own stuff. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> hold on a second there. Um, so I guess maybe it was it was a little bit confusing when I first talked about it. But you know, I'm still still pursuing my own products. But like, this has been a nice kind of little little side hustle. And I think 
one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is that it lets me do my craft in a way that working on an, an earlier stage startup doesn't necessarily allow you to do. When you're trying to get something off the ground, you're building a, a minimum viable product, you're always contending with like, what, what corners can I cut in a way that is still responsible and still gets me to, you know, the, the end state that I want to get to as quickly as possible so I can validate this in the market and yada, yada, yada. And then there's always, you know, time later on where you can come back and like really, really polish it or really like spend time making it into undoing the corner cutting that you kind of had to do early on in the, in the name of validation and getting something to market quickly. That is a certain skill set, you know, learning how to do that well and like how to figure out what parts are necessary, what parts can you leave off. But it doesn't necessarily satisfy the part of a like a practitioner, a craftsman who wants to like do the job right, which means spending spending more time on the details of something than than would be responsible to do at an early stage. You know, I've been in this kind of early stage land for a long time now and always kind of working in this mentality of like, well, I would really like to do X, Y, and Z, but really I only need X to technically launch this thing. So let's just build X and we'll worry about Y and Z later. It's been nice to have like a project where I can spend some time working on the Y and Z part of it. And, you know, that's kind of, that's the mandate of the project. And like software development is just as much a hobby for me as it is a, my line of work. And so getting to do my craft in what feels like more of a complete way has been good for my mental state. And I think it helps me when I have to go back into the mode of like, all right, now, now we're just working on minimum, minimum viable features. And I'm not, not operating in that way because it's irresponsible to do that. Getting to do some of the full craft, I guess, has been really helpful because that's not necessarily the, the thing, the, the best choice when you're, when you're trying to build an MVP. So do you feel like it has made you, because you're getting to flex part of your brain that you don't get to normally, do you feel like it's, is it kind of a net positive on the other work you're doing like for your, your, your own stuff? I think so. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's, that's been, <laughs> yeah, that's been a, a good like realization too. It's like, it helps with motivation. It helps with like not feeling like I'm always just cutting corners with my craft, but like, no, I get to, I, I'm, I'm exercising it um, still. And so that, and, and I know that I'll get to that place with my own products once, once they're in the market. And once I've you know gotten past that first phase, then I can, I can achieve that with my own stuff too. And I would never want to stay in this zone forever where we're not getting to invest all the energy that you really want to into a product. Like I'm getting, I'm doing this whole thing because I love building products. You know, it's like, that's, that's what I love to do. And that's where I think I'm where my skills lie. And so I do look forward to the point where I can, I can invest that same amount of energy into my own products. But like in the meantime, you know, you kind of got to wait till you get there. Right. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad that we can be the, the recipient of your of the advanced part of your your skills and your knowledge and your ability to polish things. Yeah, because I think the alternative would be like spending nights and weekends working on a hobby project. But then that's always hard for me to justify in my brain because it's like, well, I need downtime where I'm, you know, recharging and resting. And also it's hard to think about putting my efforts into something and not not getting a return on it. So in this case, like I'm doing this project and there is revenue attached to it. That's how I can, how that can balance the equation for like, yeah, I'm willing to exercise my craft and do this and offset the time that I'm spending on it with some revenue. And also it benefits my own independent work too. So it's kind of a, it's a nice, uh, nice little cocktail. Cool. 
Great. Well, hey, it works for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a win-win-win. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been super happy with this project moving forward. Yeah. And we've talked about some some future stuff too, so. Yeah, yeah. Some more exciting things to come as well. Some, some more to come, for sure. Cool. Cool. Anything else going on in, in your world? It sounds like you, it looks like you're, uh, your place is near empty. I hear more room echo and the shelves yeah, are empty. Yeah, so I am, um, I am moving, <laughs> which, yeah, the timing is funny now because I, I'm downsizing. I'm in a house right now, renting a house a little bit further out um, from the core of the city and realized in the long Minnesota winter that um, I actually want to be a little closer to the action. Like you have more walkability, you'd be able to, this is pre, uh, pre quarantine. I was working out of coffee shops multiple times a week. It made that really hard uh, being, being so far away from that stuff. So, so we're downsizing, moving closer into the city and it's a, it's a pretty exciting move in, in all respects, except for the fact that like I can't actually go anywhere right now, but eventually things will hopefully return to much more normal. So, cool yes yeah did you hire people to help you move i did yes okay that is my uh advice to everyone is that yes. it's worth every penny oh yeah oh yeah cool yeah uh, anything else you want to cover um i think that's that's about it in mind a little bit lighter week for me yeah overall, but yeah similar I, I have sort of a, a number of projects so they're all sort of just pushing forward N- no huge updates like we're still we're looking for Mac OS people going through the applications there and trying to set up some some screening calls with people. I think we are going to end up hiring a QA firm to do some QA testing for us. This trick has worked pretty well for me a couple of times, which is just like starting off by asking people on my network, just tweeting basically, being like, hey, who, who knows about hiring QA people? Just because I've never hired for a position like this before, I don't really know how to do it. And I got a couple of good responses. Uh, including uh, from someone who is a Tubal customer at a company that I respect and admire. And I was like, oh, let's definitely do a call. And he said, hey, we work with this firm and they're awesome. And so I did a call with the firm and uh, it looks like it's going to, I think we're going to move forward with them. I, I suspect this is kind of like to help the fact that it's very difficult to write automated tests that maybe would, would you know, automate what a QA person could do, right? Like Tubal is a very complicated <laughs> multifaceted application. But... It sure is. Um, yes. So. Long term, I think we need to flesh out our automated testing situation, but it's not going to be an easy uh, or quick thing to implement. Hopefully, this Mac OS person we hire might have some experience there. Like, we'd love to bring on some expertise in that that area. But either way, it's a goal. I think that for catching like you know basic regressions and like making sh- like just giving us some some confidence before we push something out, uh, some automated tests will be great. But there are like just so many nasty little things where it's like oh you connected a bluetooth device and then disconnected it and then plugged in some headphones and then your person changed the screen resolution or something like there's just there's just so many so many uh like mutable things that can and do change during a call before a call um right as a call starts there's all these it's just so it's i think having some some manual qa is going to be the the best way to to do this to, to do some of that yeah. And do you, do you have a sense of like how this type of engagement works? Like, do you pay a retainer basically to this company and then they do continuously run through a battery of QA tests or is it on demand when like a feature shipping or like, how does that? We are just getting to the point where we, we're like, we're going to, we're working on a statement of work basically to figure out exactly how this looks, but they charge like per hour of like while they're actually hands-on testing the thing or getting trained up on it. What I basically pitched to them and they seem to say was fairly standard is like, we have a, 
QA checklist of just, you know, get the app in this state and then make sure this happens. And what I was imagining is probably slowing down our release cadence a little bit or at least scheduling it. So it's like maybe just every Friday we push out a build as opposed to kind of whenever there's, a, there's new stuff. Uh, and then, you know, on Wednesday we ship them the, the pre-release thing. They do their tests, they report back and, you know, we fix or, or push it if it looks good. Kind of just get on this on this release cadence in, in essence, like whatever happens to be ready to ship um, by Wednesday, we'll enter the QA pipeline and then go out on Friday. Kind of thing. I think that is, yeah, I think that's yeah. the plan. Yeah, that's at least the, the the sort of first my first guess is as the best way to do this. We might find that, that we want to change that over time. Maybe it's every two weeks, or maybe there's you know I don't know exceptions or or whatnot. But that seemed like a reasonable first draft. I wish we had like a massive, incredible automated test suite so we could just like push all the time, and there was just like oh yeah, we're 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 totally confident. But it's it's hard to achieve that, and so I think the sacrifice of ship a little less frequently, but hopefully with you know higher quality is going to be worth the, the trade-off. I don't think people need Tuple to change every two or three days. I think uh, once a week or every other week will be will be plenty if we're, we're shipping good things. It's still much faster than, uh, than back in the days when you could only ship when you could burn it onto a disc and put it on a shelf, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine that? I can. Just like knowing like any bugs that are in here are going to just, before you could even do like over-the-air patches, like installable software, like on like floppies. It was just like, what could you even, man, what a nightmare. How would you ever ship software? I mean, and literally, I mean, probably shipping came from like, no, literally, like we're putting discs in like mailers and sending them out to people. Right. I mean, you must have to like just freeze code weeks or months before your like your expected ship date and then just like fix bugs until the last minute. And hopefully you don't do anything catastrophic. I know. Like think about like the Windows operating system back in the 90s, you know? Right. Yeah. Brutal. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds that sounds really hard i remember when i first started doing rails development and the people i worked with were like this is so much better than it used to be and i actually wished i had done web development before rails because i didn't really have it i didn't couldn't appreciate why it was better or like i didn't have that visceral sense of like oh my god i used to do this stuff with cgi scripts or whatever i feel like i missed out the golden age of bad software <laughs> situations did you write much much like php before doing any rails stuff right much php uh no no okay yeah i did a little bit of web development before like kind of the modern mvc frameworks kind of emerged right yeah my recollection is like it, it just felt like we hadn't figured like the world had not figured out great patterns for how to do stuff so it was like it's like you had all this nice structure on desktop application development and then you had basically spaghetti code for the web <laughs> and just scripts like and it's before we came to fully appreciate that like web applications are very similar in many ways to native applications where you have you have state and you need to represent that state in a certain way and it happens to be html and but it's funny how long it takes this stuff to mature i mean it's no wonder why rails was such a leap forward and uh it became so influential mm-hmm. i mean it's cool that there can be leaps forward right like you can just it starts off kind of wild westy and then like some people just figure out good ways of doing things and over time, the best practices win, hopefully, and we move the state of the art forward. We have a couple ideas of how we want to move the state of the art of pairing forward that I'm kind of excited about. Like we've actually, Spencer whipped up a prototype of, a, of an idea we had over the weekend and it was like, ooh, yeah, this could be cool. Uh, I think there's some interesting unsolved problems still, uh, not surprising. So yeah, we'll have to talk about that more offline perhaps. Mm, all right. I love some secret sauce offline. Yeah, yeah. 
just one other thing that I, I wanted to throw out, which is like sort of an interesting note on what it's like to develop as part of an ecosystem. Uh, we have this bug that gets reported to us all the time about the cursor disappearing when someone is using the JetBrains IDE while pairing. And it turns out that it looks like they just have done something really weird with the cursor. And so there's actually a bug on their bug tracker, which I think is like years old now, or at least about a year. There's a bunch of situations in which like the cursor will just disappear under various circumstances. And so people keep reporting this bug to us. And it's like, we sort of keep saying like, we don't think this is us. This doesn't sound like us. But finally, like Joel did a bunch of research in this and found this open issue and is now like in the issue trying to push it forward being like you know at, at mentioning like owners and maintainers you'd be like hey is there any way you could take a look at this because can we help can we can we pay you to fix this or something because it looks like a tuple issue every time wow yeah that's crazy i mean if you think about it i mean you're when you guys are messing with you know with cursor management from the operating it's like you're kind of working in this like shared global namespace of things like <laughs> Like you have you have these cursors in your operating system now. Some other application comes in and decides to start start doing something with them, then suddenly you guys are stepping on each other's toes. And of course, everyone writes it as if they are the only ones in the sandbox. Um, so they like they fire up their thing and they're like, "Okay, it works. Good. Next next problem." And it's like, "Well, but if you do that after we've done this thing, or we did this after you've done that thing, or something, um, how do we how do we coexist?" And we admittedly are doing some, you know, cursor shenanigans, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which so far doesn't seem to break other things, but somehow the thing that we're doing and the thing that they're doing together um, leads to an issue. And apparently, their thing breaks other stuff. So it's not just us. So maybe they're the maybe they're the more wrong people here. <laughs> you got to do your shenanigans better. <laughs> yeah, we do. Com- let's let's com- make our shenanigans compatible. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, more on that saga later. Yeah. Once again, one of the complexities of working in a native environment with... Uh, yes. Yeah. It is nice to at least have a bug to point people to. And like they'll be like, oh, this doesn't work. We'll be like, yeah, we know. This is a known issue. Check out this thread. Maybe upvote it and help us try to get them to fix it with us or something. Uh, sometimes that's a better answer than, huh, that's weird. Which unfortunately is also sometimes our answer because... There's just so many weird things that can happen. Yeah. Complex systems, man. Yeah. There are times when I think about like all these edge cases that we're handling and like there's there's a new beta build of um, Mac OS and there's some sort of uh, issue there when pairing with older versions of Mac OS. And I'm just like starting to think like, man, if we were on Linux and Windows or even just Linux, it's like, like there's so much depth in just one operating system that like going to another is like wow that's going to be what an what an upgrade in complexity there yeah man where you guys currently stand on on multi-os support like does it feel like a far out thing is it it still feels far out to me yeah but spencer the other day i was like maybe i'll start playing around with it on the weekends and i was like okay so sometimes he just gets the itch and spikes something out and then all right well i mean do we want to keep this going or not so uh, it's it's hard to say. I, I, I certainly couldn't promise anything. Uh, but it's just like clearly there is a huge market for developers that use macOS that want remote pairing. And it's not a deal breaker for a lot of companies that we don't support other operating systems. We have, we're like closing more and more like big companies you've heard of. And it's like, seems to be okay. 
like they've standardized on Macs or they're okay if not everyone has it. And so it, it hasn't really seemed to have held us back. And I mean, it, supporting f- less complexity certainly has let us go faster. Uh, so it becomes, it feels a little hard to justify, uh, at least until the team, until you have more capacity. Like if we're rolling in it and we say, let's hire a Linux expert and like this person's only job is work on this client and like get it and, and support it and test weird combinations of Ubuntu and whatever, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more feasible. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be a, that would be a big, a big shift to go from like you spent, you know, two years building up this solid moat of like reliability and edge case handling and let's make this thing performant and fast and, and relatively bug free and on and on and on and then to go back to kind of square one with a new operating system like we have to now do all those learnings for this os to get up to where we are or maybe you'll some of it will be short-circuited hopefully but still there's still yes there's definitely going to be a core that you don't have to rewrite or that we won't have to rewrite which is nice but yeah there's a ton of interaction with the os itself and like where is it in the ui and what happens when you click this and should this window be over here and there's a ton of things, and, and we know macOS really well, and we use it every day. The paradigms and the tendencies, or like uh, whatever, like the, the unofficial rules of how Ubuntu apps work, or you know Debian or whatever, is like all different stuff that we don't really know. Yeah. So it's it's going to be just a kind of a crazy learning curve. At Drip, we had the one guy who who ran insisted on running Linux um, on his Mac hardware. And I think he really liked his setup, but man, there was always something broken. Like. <laughs> <laughs> this was before um i wonder what he's doing now because this was before we had to do a whole lot of um video calling but like his webcam just he could never get a webcam to work on that thing it just and that's the reputation that linux has like peripherals and it's very hard to make them work at all <laughs> so i can only imagine what like what's cursor management like in linux and ooh, a lot of dragons there i mean hopefully it would be more hackable right because you can see the source for all this stuff i think it's possible we could just write a really good version uh, because it's more open, perhaps. I'm imagining starting this project. It's like, okay, we have basically two years of refinement in the macOS app. Do we pause development on the macOS app while we work on the Linux thing? No, certainly, certainly not. And so now we're trying to catch up with something that we're two years behind and it keeps moving forward. So it's, it's like a rewrite but it's, it's, it's like a rewrite where you have all the problem of, of like trying to replace an existing system kind of in that the, the, the system you're sort of replacing keeps evolving. So your, your target keeps changing. So it sounds hard, but also is a hell of a, you know, like bullet to have in the chamber, I guess, where it's like, yeah, someday we will have the capacity to, to do this and expand our market by maybe 2x. Um, so that's, that's a kind of a useful thing to have there as an option. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I think you're thinking about it the right way, though. Like, you know, build up, build up enough of a base of of traction and revenue and everything else, so that you can afford to do this right when you do it, as opposed to trying to bite off way more than it's like, feasible to chew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. There also may be like some eighty twenties here, like streaming tuple stuff to a, a browser might be enough to like satisfy the main objection of like well like my latest people can't use it it's like well they, they can you can at least you know get some something passable for them a lot of the tuple goodness comes from the fact that it is a native app and that we've made tweaks to our dependencies and whatnot so you would it would be a subpar experience in the browser unfortunately but uh maybe it would be good enough but yeah we'll see it's these are the interesting strategic questions mm-hmm. that keep me up at night
Good problems to have, though. It is, yeah. I mean, the good news is, like, it seems like there's a heck of a lot of Mac developers, and we probably have, like, you know, less than 1% of them. And so, mm-hmm. do we need to be more than, you know, 20 times as big or something? I don't think so. so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not venture-backed. We don't have to become a billion-dollar company. We can have a really comfortable little software business over here, and I think it'll be fun. Yeah, and I bet, I bet, I bet, let's venture to guess that a good percentage of the type of people who have, you know, discerning taste and, and willingness to adopt, you know, this, this cool pair programming tool are also probably Mac users. Like there's some correlation there. Mm. I think, you know? We're going to get some angry letters. <laughs> really? <laughs> Did I just step on It is interesting. <laughs> there, there may, I mean, so there, I do have the sense as well that Linux users are maybe not the biggest fans of paying for software or maybe don't appreciate the same things, I guess. But then again, I do think this is a bit of an outdated perspective. Like I think a lot of people went from like Windows to Mac and then have gone from Mac to Linux. I think this is a pretty common path. And so they're like they've traded some of the niceties for the, you know, more hackability or more control or like a nice nicer dev dev environment perhaps. And I think this assumption that like Linux people won't pay for software is probably actually getting less true every week. This is my one of my theories. And so like I think and that, that to me seems like an opportunity, like when the world has shifted, but people have not updated their uh, assumptions about it. And I think that's kind of where we're at in Linux, the Linux world. Yeah, I mean, I think um, when, like use the example of the, the engineer who insisted on using Linux at, at work, I mean, it was because he, he liked being able to customize his setup completely. I mean, he, he had a mechanical keyboard and he had, you know, the whole night, you can, you can just imagine like all of the all of the carefully curated things about an environment that made him super productive. And if we were using something like Tuple, he definitely would have wanted in on that. And he was on a team where like they would have paid. And so like, there's probably a, a fair amount of developers like that who are on teams, maybe some people on Mac, some people insist on having more control over their environment and you know, still want to be able to pay. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be a good market actually, after all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. although it's like, man, which distributions there's just like all this fracturing over there yeah yeah so like it looks like most people are on ubuntu like uh, when we request like ask people what they're using that's the most common followed by maybe like debian and then maybe arch Mm -hmm. so maybe like there's a couple big ones that we could support and and feel get pretty good coverage yeah or like maybe it's like tuple just only officially supports ubuntu otherwise just you know you're on your own good Mm -hmm. luck Mm -hmm. Um, but i don't know definitely some some dragons hanging out (laughs) over there Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right uh anything else you want to cover uh no i think you wrap it all right notes of the show that's the show that you found at artofproductpodcast.com thanks for listening see ya bye